Amen. Amen. Hey, good to see you this morning again. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are still in our series called Exodus on the Move. And in this amazing series, literally everything is on the move. A God is on the move. A people are on the move. Enemies on the move. And the hearts of a nation are on the move, getting to know God. And so 3,500 years ago, we find this story. And although it's written 3,500 years ago, it's not an old book, it's an eternal book given by an eternal God. And so it's applicable to us today. Tell the person next to you, hey, this is for you. Now that's what's amazing. Sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're like, eh, this is from a long time ago. We kind of gaze over it and we don't get, squeeze all the juice out of it. We miss a lot of the things that are going on. So let me just help you. A nation of about 2 million people strong uh, have been in captivity, bondage for 400 years. And God has promised uh, that they would be in bondage for 400 years. And God has promised that he would deliver them. So now he's delivered them and he has chosen a man uh, named Moses for the work. Moses uh, was born a Hebrew. Uh, He's taken into the Egyptian family to avoid being murdered by Egyptian leaders. He's raised 40 years in Egypt, and then he murders uh, an Egyptian because the Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew slave. He spends the next 40 years in the wilderness um, uh, keeping somebody else's sheep. Now he's 80 years old, and God says, Moses, through a burning bush, he says, I want, it's time. I want you to go to, to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh and tell him to let the people go. So that's kind of where we are. Now, Moses does what God says. God does these amazing miracles. And ultimately, the people are free. They've been liberated and emancipated. And now they get to the river, uh, the Red Sea, and and God uh, parts the Red Sea, leads the people across the Red Sea, and then uh, uh, totally destroys the Egyptian army. They're in the wilderness, chapter 15 now. They're celebrating. It's a worship service, chapter 15. They sing a song, they dance, they have a good time. Then they begin to realize that in the wilderness, there's a lot of needs. And so they they find out that in the wilderness, God is their wilderness provision. As soon as they begin to understand that, they realize that in the wilderness, there's also another problem. That there's an enemy who always is hating on them, attacking them, trying to make their walk difficult. And so they realize that when they face an enemy, God is not just their wilderness provision. God is their wilderness protection. And and so they're beginning to understand this. Now, what does that have to do with you today? 3,500 years later, you and I are in the wilderness. You see, the wilderness is a type in the Old Testament. It's a type, a picture, if you will, of life in the middle of two great events. For them, it was delivery from bondage. But they're headed to the promised land. But before they get to the promised land, they walk through the wilderness. And it's ugly. It's just old hard days in the wilderness between these two great events. In your life today, if you are a child of God, if you have been adopted into his family through Jesus' grace gift upon a cross, you are a child of God. You have been saved. But you're not home yet. You're a pilgrim passing through. And we've been promised a promised land called heaven. And so now between salvation, when we meet Jesus spiritually, and glorification, when we stand before Jesus physically, we're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, we have needs. God is our wilderness wilderness provision. We have an enemy who hates us. I said it last week, if you have the Spirit's mark on your heart, you have the devil's mark on your back. And so we need protection. And so for us today, God is our wilderness protector. 
But I want you to see something new today. In, in the wilderness, there's a procedure that God wants to apply. And that's what we're going to see, a wilderness procedure. A way of doing things in this life called the wilderness. Exodus chapter 18 is where we are. So open your Bibles, your devices. Exodus 18. Here's what it says. Verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard about all that God had done for Moses and for his people, Israel. That the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, one whose, whom was named Gershom and the other Eliezer. Verse 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and his wife, came to Moses in the wilderness where he was camping by the mountain of God. And he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you along with your wife and her two sons with her. Now, what's going on here? <clears throat> First of all, it says Jethro, the priest of Midian. You remember when we talked about the enemy of Israel was called Amalek, and Amalek was not the guy. It was a nation, the Amalekites, who came from Amalek, who was a descendant of Esau, okay? Now we see Jethro, who's the priest of Midian. He's, he is related to Moses. He's half Jew. You say, well, how, how do you get half Jew? When Abraham's wife, Sarah, died, he remarried. He remarried a lady named Keturah. Keturah had many kids. One of her son's names were Midian, the Midianites. Now, here's a guy named Jethro whose great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a Jew. But his great-great-great-great-grandmother was not a Jew. Now, he still gets God. He's a priest in Midian. Now, he comes to Moses, and this is not the first time we've seen Jethro. Jethro is the guy in the wilderness when Moses runs away from Egypt looking for a home as a fugitive. Here's a guy who takes him in. Here's a guy who takes a man on the run and takes him in. He doesn't just take him in. He gives Jethro, Jethro gives Moses, his daughter Zipporah, to be his wife. He's family. For the next 40 years, Moses will keep Jethro's sheep. Now, when Moses was called at the burning bush to go to Egypt, Moses told Jethro, hey, take care of my wife Zipporah, your daughter. Take care of Gershom and Eliezer, our two kids. I've got to go do this thing in Egypt. Okay? So he goes and does what God tells him to do. Now there's a reunion. That's what's going on. He is being restored to his wife and to his two sons because they have accomplished all that God has desired to do in their life. Now, let me just tell you, what we're getting ready to see is an encounter between a father-in-law and a son-in-law. And those can be interesting, right? And so this one's going to be good because both of their hearts are in the right place. Both of these people we will see have a heart for God. Now listen to me. It doesn't matter what the two parties are, whether it's father-in-law son-in-law, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, husband, wife, brother, sister, friend, teammate, doesn't matter. When two people come together and their hearts are tuned in to God, the conversation 
it's going to go good. So here's what happens, verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed his father-in-law. And they each asked about each other's welfare, and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to Egypt for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come on them along the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses goes, bows down, and kisses his father-in-law. Now listen to me. Next Sunday is Easter. Some of you all are going to be with your father-in-law. If you really want to start it off really good, just go bow down and kiss and honor your father-in-law. I want everybody to do that but Clark. Okay? Now, now this is just this greeting, but it's a greeting of honor. You see, he's, he's going before his father-in-law, and he wants to honor his father-in-law. Okay? Now watch the father-in-law's heart. Listen to it. It says in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced because of all the good the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered from the hand of Egypt. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from the Egyptians' control. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing in which they dealt proudly against them, he has destroyed them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron and all the elders of Israel came to eat food with the father-in-law of Moses before God. We have this amazing, honoring relationship between two people. We have a man of God whose name is Moses, a man of God whose name is Jethro, meeting together, and it's something special. Moses doesn't honor his father-in-law because of the significance or the accomplishments of his father, Jethro. Moses honors his father-in-law because Moses honors God. You see, Jethro no doubt was wealthy. He had flocks and herds and land and, 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 a, and a following. But Moses, he like spoke to God in a burning bush. Moses is the leader of a nation. Moses has the hand of God on him. He didn't need to honor his father-in-law, but he did because it's the right thing to do. Now, this sets the stage for what's getting ready to happen in the life of the nation of Israel and ultimately of Moses. So they have this reunion. Now, verse 13, apparently Jethro, the father-in-law, says, man, it's been great. We had this big feast with the elders. God is good because that's what Jethro does. He says, man, your God is good. He's doing great things. Let's have a meal. Now, apparently the next day, Jethro decides to go to work with his son-in-law. Well, let's see what you do every day for a living, Moses. So verse 13, it says, on the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why are you sitting by yourself? And all the people stand around you from morning until evening. So he watches Moses, and Moses is judging the people. In other words, all of the disputes and disagreements and difficulties, Moses is answering the deal. He's sitting on the throne 
for the people. And now, let's put it in perspective. Davidson County, Middle Tennessee, where Nashville is located, 700,000 people. Multiply that times three. 2.1 million people, you got one guy, an 80-year-old guy named Moses who's doing all the work. Jethro comes along, who's also an old guy, and he says, Moses, what are you doing? This is going to kill you. Now, the simple answer for Moses is this. Well, dad, uh, dad my father-in-law, I know the word of God. I know God. I know the people of God. I know the direction of God. I'm 80 years old. I'm, I've got wisdom. I spent 40 years in Egypt. I'm educated. I spent 40 years under an autocratic system called Pharaoh's reign. I know how to lead people. That's the logical answer. But he also knows, Jethro knows, that it won't last. You see in verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, he says, because the people come to me and they inquire of me. He said, when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I decide between a man and his neighbor. And I make known the decrees of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing, <laughs> it's not good. He says, you will surely wear out both you and these people who are with you, for this is too heavy a burden, and you are not able to do it by yourself. Now, we have two people we've already established who have pure hearts. And so now, Jethro has a different idea for the way Moses should lead. Now, the world is full of critics. No doubt Moses has had many people tell him how to do things. You've heard the whole nation complaining, you've led us out here to starve. You've led us out here to thirst to death. Everybody's got their ideas. Moses has to be able to discern and to listen to what he needs to listen to. Now, he spent 40 years with Jethro. Jethro took him in as a fugitive. Jethro gave him his daughter for marriage. Jethro has cared for his family. He has earned an ear to Moses. So, so Moses now, is, he's dialing in. He's like, okay, we're in this conversation. You see something that I don't see. Help tell me more. Jethro is saying, listen, the disputes are never going to go away. People will always fuss and fight and complain and find disagreements. Always. We look for reasons to complain. And so Moses, from now on, you're going to have people every day the way you're doing things. Every day, somebody stole my firewood, and I want you to help me figure out who did it. That guy's little boy wrote dirty words on the back of my tent. That my neighbor's dog had chicken and eggs for breakfast, and he got them out of my chicken coop. And you're going to be dealing with this forever. It's a perpetual a wheel of complaining that you're going to be dealing with. Now, Moses listens to him. He should listen to him. You understand how easily people try to find something to fuss about, right? Kendra and I moved to Tennessee about 20 years ago. And we bought a piece of property that had a little house on the front corner. Not a little house, a good house, but smaller. We fixed it up. We lived in it while we built the home we wanted. 
We sold that house for $169,000. We moved into another house. Life was good. One day I get a packet, a legal packet. That's not good. Inside the legal packet, the lady that bought the house next to us sued us for $500,000. Well, the house, so I said, well, I'll just buy the house back. To which my lawyer said, that's admitting guilt. Okay, I'm not buying the house back. We opened the packet. Number one, violation. He did not pave my driveway. So we go to deposition, and my lawyer said, what does this mean you didn't pave it? Why should he pave your driveway? I'm looking at the sales contract. There's nothing in there about your driveway. She said he paved his driveway. He said, and your point? Well, if he paved his driveway, my house is next to his house. My driveway's next to his driveway. He should have paved my driveway. My head's spinning. I'm thinking, can we do this in the justice system of America? The truth is, yes, we can. Okay, there's a lawyer out there to sue somebody for anything if you'll give them a check. All right? And, and so at the end of it, the whole thing was frivolous and it went away. Kendra sweated bullets over it for about a year. I kept saying it's going to be okay because we hadn't done anything wrong. I didn't pave her driveway. Life goes on. The point of that is this. We live in a world that's, that wants to just complain and whine and fuss and fight and bicker. It's our flesh nature. Even if we're born again, we have a new spirit, but flesh rises up and we fight. And this is what Jethro was trying to help Moses see. And Jethro would be right. Now, Wilderness procedure. How do we do this life in the wilderness? He's going to tell us. On the back of your life guide, there's five things I want to show you today. Point number one. Before we get to point number one, listen to what Jethro says to Moses in verse 19. He says, now listen to me. I will give you advice and may God be with you. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to give you some advice and you can do with it what you want to. I just want God to bless you. And it really doesn't matter to me because tomorrow I'm going home and it won't affect my life, but it can affect your life. Now, father-in-law advice can be interesting. If you are a son-in-law and you've received father-in-law advice, raise your hand. If you are a father-in-law and you've given son-in-law advice, raise your hand. I was given son-in-law advice. I had an amazing father-in-law, Kendra's daddy, died a few years ago, went on to be with uh, Jesus, and he was a great man. He gave me some advice along the way, most of it very good. He didn't speak a lot, so when he spoke, I listened. But in 1984, he gave me father-in-law advice that I have never forgotten. I went to him because I wanted to marry Kendra, and I called him Zeke. That wasn't his name, it's just what I called him. I said, Zeke, I want to talk to you about marrying Kendra. And he said this. He said, Joel, Kendra loves you. And he said, Joel, I like you too. And then he said, can't make this up. He said, don't ever hit her or I'll kill you. <laughs> to which I, good talk. That's a good talk. Okay. And Kendra, I've never hit you, have I? Thought about it a time or two, but I, I didn't want to be murdered. So I didn't do it. Okay. Now, father-in-law advice. You, you don't know what this is going to be. Okay, you, you don't know where this is going. So let's see where it does go. Number one, wilderness procedure includes pray faithfully. Now, now watch this. This is for a leader of a nation, these points. But these points are for the leader of a family, 
for a mom, a dad, for grandparents. These points are for the leader of a business. If you're a business owner, an employer. If you're a coach, if you have people under a ministry, if you have people that are in your circle, this is for you, okay? 3,500 years ago, Jethro gave it to Moses, and it's still applicable today. It's applicable in the church. Pray faithfully. Jethro tells Moses, he says, first, number one, you be a representative for the people to God, and you bring their disputes to God. Okay, number one, first you got to pray faithfully. Now, as individuals, the Bible says we are ambassadors of God before the people. But as leaders, we are ambassadors of the people before God, okay? You're a leader. You are to represent the people that God gives you custody over. You are to represent them by taking them and all of their needs first to God in prayer. It is the greatest thing you can ever do. It's the greatest thing I can ever do for you as the church body. It's the greatest thing a life group leader can ever do for their class. It's the greatest thing a mother and a father and a, a grandfather and a grandmother can ever do for their grandkids. It's the greatest thing an employer can ever do for his or her employees is to pray faithfully for those under their care. Now, I want you to know there's a fringe benefit for praying for other people. In Job chapter 42, verse 10, is a really cool verse. Job had been through it, and he's friends had turned his back on him and they just rejected him and his God and they mocked him and made fun of him. Job 42 10 says, so the Lord restored what Job had lost. When? After he prayed for his friends. You see, praying for those that are around us opens up the doors of blessing from God. It goes on, he says, and the Lord doubled all that had belonged to Job. Now, when, when I'm telling you to pray, for those in your, in your circle, you got to be nice. Pray nice, okay? I know there's people that your prayer would be, oh, I'm supposed to pray for that person? Okay, I'll pray. God, I pray that you infest their whole body with boils. I pray that they get hit by an airplane falling from the sky, okay? No, that's not what we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray for their problems, not our problem against them. And when we do, it begins to liberate us and open up the doors of God's blessing because our hearts begin to change. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And to this end, be alert with all perseverance and petitions for all the saints. We are supposed to pray for those around us. I, I, need to, I needed to learn something. Moses needed to know. Moses could not fix all of their problems. Sometimes they think, well, the preacher, he's, he should be able to fix everybody's problems. I can't fix all of my own, let alone yours, okay? But I can point you to somebody who can. You see, that's my job as a pastor. That's your job as a leader, is not to solve everybody's problem. It is to point them to the problem solver. And that's what Jethro was trying to get Moses to get, that, that he can't fix it all. It, they will all. There will always be problems, and he's going to have to figure out a different way of doing this thing. Pray continually. Pray faithfully. Number two, preach diligently. We're called to preach. Now, the word might you could use is proclaim. It just means to share the truth of God's standard. 
Here's what he says in verse 20. Jethro says, Moses, you're going to pray for them. Secondly, you're going to preach diligently. Warn them of the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Judging the foolishness of flesh will never solve the problem. Changing the condition of the flesh is the only way a problem will go away. You see, most of our problems today are flesh problems. God looks at them and says, why are you so bent out of shape over that? Am I not your God? Focus on me and not the stuff in your world and and everything is going to be okay because I am your God. Jethro needed to help Moses understand that. The leader's job is to boldly but lovingly speak the truth of God's standard. All of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Let me tell you something about this book. There's parts of this book, man, that it's steak and gravy to me. I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. There's other parts of it, Brussels sprouts. But the problem is, this is not a buffet. This is the truth of God's word. And we're to have all of it in our diet. It means when we get to the steak and gravy, woohoo, we dive in. When we get to the Brussels sprouts, we grit our teeth and we keep chewing those Brussels sprouts. We take it because it's good for us, okay? And sometimes all of us need a dose of the whole word of God and not the parts that we like best. Jethro told Moses, you teach them all of the statutes. You teach them all of the laws. You make known to them the way that they must walk and the way that they must work. Now, some of God's word comes with warning labels. Throughout God's word, he makes promises, but he issues a lot of warnings. And and there's warnings everywhere we go. You'll see these, these tags, you know. And I remember a comedian one time, he was talking about a can of shaving cream. And it was called foamy. And he said, I saw that and I wondered, how dangerous can a can of shaving cream be called foamy? But I looked at the back of the can and it said, warning, do not use this product near open flame. And he said, I thought, did somebody once upon a time decide to shave in the fireplace or what? Now, warnings are good. They are there to help us, okay? And the warnings in God's word are there to help us. And Jethro told Moses, you need to teach them the standards of God's word. You need to share it with them with truth and love. But they need to hear the whole counsel of God. They need to walk differently and work differently and live differently. Or you're never going to be able to extinguish all of their grievances. So we're to preach. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the message. Be ready whether it is convenient or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and instruction. For there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Instead, following their own desires. They will accumulate teachers for themselves. Because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. And they will turn away from hearing the truth. But on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. And that is the world we live in. When people no longer like what they read, they read what they want to hear. They stop listening to the truth of God's word and they listen to all the voices of the world. Listen, when you're in a conversation about a spiritual thing, 
Be very careful that the conversation is saturated with spiritual truth. If you want to find the answer to a spiritual thing in your life, listen to this book. Opinions don't matter. Culture don't matter. We're to listen to the truth. And that's what Jethro was wanting Moses to share. Matthew 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. We are to be people of the truth in impacting the people in our circle, okay? Our world is being impacted more by its own culture than it is the word of God because it's easier to follow the flesh than to listen to spiritual truth. And we live in this world that just wants, we, we want to hear what we want to hear. And like scripture said, we will go wherever we have to go to hear it. So pray continually, preach directly. Number three, promote others in your circle. Verse 21, now Jethro tells Moses, okay, you're praying for them. You're preaching, speaking to them, helping them understand truth. He said, now, verse 21 you, Moses, choose from the people. It's Moses' job to choose the leaders he's going to assign to help him. He says, choose from the people, capable men, God-fearing men, men of truth, those who hate bribes, and put them over people as rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, Moses was the leader called by God to lead a nation. Jethro comes and says, you need, to, you need to share the ball. You need to split the load. You need to multiply to conquer, okay? So he says, you, since you're the leader, you pick people around you to help you accomplish the task that God has called you to do. Now, let me tell you what that means to this church. I'm the pastor. God called me to lead the church. When we need a pastoral staff leader, I pick that person. Now, I don't pick them typically all by myself. I run them. I ask people about them. I introduce them to different groups in our church. I, we have a personnel team. We let them vet them and talk to them. But ultimately, the buck stops here. I have to make that choice because they're going to serve with me. They're going to they're have to embrace the vision that God gives me. And so I, it's not something I necessarily love that way, but it's the way it is in the Bible. Now, at the same time, there are churches who do things differently. There are churches who say, well, we're going to have a committee. And the committee's going to hire the people and tell them to go work with these other people. That's fine if that's how they do it. But this is how we do it here, and it's biblical. It has biblical legs. It has a strong foundation. And so Jethro tells Moses, pick some people. Now, pick good ones. Pick capable ones. People who don't like bribes. People that you can trust because you're going to share the love. You're going to promote them to be over different groups. He says they're going to be over tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Okay? Now let me tell you what that's all about. God gifts us all differently. Some people he gifts to be over a thousand people. 
Some people he gifts to be over 100 or 50 or 10. Some people will never know what God has gifted them to be over because they never get in the game. Other people will get in the game only to find out that they're a 10 people person. Now here's the point of that. The point is not whether God gifts us to be over 10, 50, 100, or 1,000. The point is we are good stewards with what God has gifted us to do. You see, God doesn't hold me accountable for gifts that he never gives me. God holds me accountable to apply and develop the gifts he's given me. And I'm here to tell you, I'm looking in a group of people here this morning, and there's 10 people, people in here. And there's 50 people, people in here. And 100 people, people in here. And 1,000 people, people in here. And some of y'all are zero people, people, because you've never done anything. God says, I've gifted you to engage you in a kingdom agenda bigger than anything you can even mentally comprehend. And I want you to find your place and begin to serve. And a lot of times, it'll start out as a 10. And sometimes, all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're speaking to 50. You're engaging with 50 people. And sometimes it continues. And I want to encourage you, just like Jethro encouraged Moses to look out and begin to see that people are gifted to minister to other people. <laughs> you see what we're developing here? Multi-level marketing 3,500 years ago. The next chapter, Jethro's going to introduce Moses to Amway and Tupperware and Mary Kay. And Moses will obtain a lot of wealth. Okay? No, but that's where it came from. Share the love, promote others, include other people in God's agenda, and let God maximize their giftings to come alongside your giftings so that everything gets stronger and better. Now, that's a big calling on his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God promises that it's true that people have gifts and they're all different. I want you to know that. Sometimes we look at other people's gifts and we say, man, I'd like to do that. You know, well, do what God's gifted you. You might be surprised at how God uses that. And you might be amazed that people wish they had your gift when your gift is developed. Nobody wants an undeveloped gift. And everybody desires a fully developed gift, a gift that God has his hand upon. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different results, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. Listen, God doesn't hold me accountable for your gifts. And God doesn't hold you accountable for my gifts. God places no expectation on me for a gift that he's given you. And God places no expectation on you for a gift he's given me. But God holds us accountable for the gifts that he's given us. And they're all different. And they may have a different flavor. And they may have a, 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 different, um, a different economy or size. But at the end of the day... God has gifted us and he wants us to develop those gifts. First Peter chapter 4 says this, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. It's not if you use it, 
He says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. It is all about the glory of God. Your gifts are not for your glory. Your gifts are not for your benefit. Your gifts are for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Now, Moses is at the crossroads. He had to listen. He had to hear this, this truth, and he had to do something with it. So a few years ago, I have a mentor, and he's the pastor at North Star Church. Great church, and he's a great man of God. He planted the church, and he's led it. He's done a really great job. And he's just a fine guy. So we had lunch one day, and he said, Joel, man, I love what God's doing in your church. He said, sometimes I like your church better than my church. And I was like, huh. And he said, man, you're obviously doing a great job. You know, and so he's stroking me a little bit, you know. It feels good. Everybody likes that. And then he said, but you know what? I believe God wants to grow it to a whole nother level. And I said, okay, that's good too. He said, and that means a whole lot of change. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. And he said, you know what's going to have to change more than anything else? I'm thinking uh, the size of the building, the parking lot, okay, uh, the worship leader. <laughs> he said, you. He pointed at me. He said, you. You're going to have to change more than anything else. And that one kind of knocked me back on my heels. And I said, okay, I'm listening. And he said, you do a lot of things right now in the life of your church, don't you know? I'm like, yeah, I call it job security. <laughs> if you know how to do everything and nobody else does, hard for them to fire you, you know? He said, you need to find the five things that God has called you to do. That you feel like nobody else can do it because the calling and the gifting is not on their life. And everything else you need to pass to somebody else. Everything. So I made a list and I started calling through them. Now he said, I'm going to make your life easy. I'm going to go ahead and fill in two of the blanks. And you'll only have three to figure out. I said, okay, what are the two? Pray and preach. He said, you're called to preach. I've heard you preach. You preach. And you're commanded to pray. You need to pray. You got to do those. Can't let them go. You can't pass that off to anybody. You figure out the other three. And so today, guess what? I pray, I preach, and I've whittled away a lot of the stuff, and I'll share it in just a minute, a lot of the stuff that I was doing, trying to focus on the five things that God has called me to do. Now, that what Jethro told Moses was the same thing that the pastor at North Star told me. It's the same thing that the apostles said in Acts chapter 6 when there arose a complaint in the church. Imagine that, a church with a complaint. And they complained because some of the widows weren't getting enough food. It was a good complaint, legitimate complaint. So the apostles said, listen, it's not good for us to walk away from what we're called to do. We need to, we need to select from among us some men to be, quote, deacons. That's what they are. And they'll take care of, of the food and the tables. And we can focus on, guess what? Ministry of the word, preaching, and praying. Those two things are fixed. And it's still true today. And listen, it's true for me as a pastor. It's true for you as maybe a small group leader or a ministry leader. It's true for you as a business owner. It's true for you as a mom or a dad. It's, it's just true. 
that you need to pray for them and you need to, uh, and, and you need to invest in their lives and, and you need to promote them, give them responsibilities, challenge them to find their gifts and develop in them what God has called them to be and to do. Number four, protect yourself. Jethro says, number four, Moses, you need to protect yourself. He says in verse 22, the people that you pick, they will judge the people under normal circumstances. And every difficult case, they'll bring to you. But every small case, they themselves will judge. So that you will make, so that you may make it easier for yourself. Boy, I like that line. You're going to make life easy for yourself. I thought we weren't allowed to do that as Christians. I thought we were supposed to work our fingers to the bone as followers of Jesus. All right? He says, so you can make it easier for yourself, and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this thing, and God so commands you, in other words, if you take this advice, then you will be able to endure. All these people will be able to go home satisfied. You see, Jethro was an old guy like Moses. But Jethro believed that God wasn't finished with Moses. Moses is 80 plus now. Jethro believed God wasn't finished, and he wasn't. 40 more years, Moses would lead him. Moses would live, live to be 120 years old. And so he says, listen, if you'll do this, it's going to make life easier, and you'll do this for the next 40 years. I was thinking about this. I, I thought about skipping this point. Because if you all thought for a second, I'm making my life easier so I can hang around another 40 years, you might find another church. Yeah, imagine that. But I want to tell you something. If God has chosen me to be here for another 10 years and I choose to stay, or God has chosen me to stay here and lead for the next 40 years and I choose to be obedient and do that until I'm 100, if I'm doing it because God commands me and calls me to do it, there won't be a better place for you to be than a place where your leader is called and commanded and is found obedient to the calling. Because we all get better when we do what God wants us to do, okay? That includes your leader. That includes you as a church. All of us are better when we are where God wants us to be. So Jethro was right. Number five, and we're finished, practice humility. Moses now is at the crossroads. He's heard this, this wilderness procedure of how he's supposed to do things or potentially could do things, an alternative perspective. What will he do with it? Will he listen or will he not? It says in verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and he did everything he had said. Moses chose capable men from all Israel and he made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people under normal circumstances, the difficult cases they would bring to Moses, but every small case they would judge themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and so Jethro went to his own land. For the next 40 years, Moses would do things differently. Now, let me just tell you, Moses is a leader. He's a man of God. He's got his critics. He's got people his whole life trying to tell him what to do. He understood what it meant to be an autocratic, uh, narcissistic leader. He lived with Pharaoh for 40 years. 
And now he's at the crossroads to do things different, where he's encouraged to share the love, to pass the ball around, all right? And Scripture says he did what it was Jethro told him to do. He listened to the right voice. Now, sometimes people just want to tell other people what to do. They're not trying to help. They just got a revelation. And they, they're going to tell. They feel good about themselves if they tell somebody else how to do it. Let, I, don't, I try not to do that. I try to wash my hands of ministry and let people do what they want. If I need to intervene, I, I do. I listen. I watch. If I need to input, I will. But if I go have my oil changed at GT Tire... I don't jump out of the car and run around there and say, hey, I need five quarts of 10W30 and it better be pins oil. And I'm going to watch it. It's this one right here. And it goes in this hole right here. Hey, I want this kind of filter on my truck. I don't want that other filter. Hey, these fluids right here, I need this kind of washer fluid. I need this kind of fluid right here. Check my transmission fluid. Now look around here at these tires. These tires are good tires. They need 50 pounds of pressure. I want 50 pounds in each one. I'm going to watch you do it. I don't do all that. That's their job. They do it for a living. If they don't do good, I won't go back over there. But I don't get out and tell them how to do their job. In part because I got my head under the dashboard trying to find that invisible lever to open the hood. Okay? But beyond that, I don't do it because that's what we pay them to do. Let's let them do their job. Now, if they're not doing their job, if they do their job poorly, let's go talk about it. Okay? It's the same in your home, on your job, and in the Lord's church. We have people called to do things, and we need to set them free to do what God, God calls them to do. And we need to come alongside them, and we need to find our place, our gifting, our place of engagement in the kingdom agenda. And we all join in, and we become this mighty army of soldiers for the kingdom placed here to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the most beautiful thing in the world when we do it God's way. And so, here's the test. You ready? Pop quiz for the pastor. 3,500 years ago, Jethro told Moses. 2,000 years ago, the apostles hired, uh, selected deacons. 2023, are we operating in wilderness procedure. Nine years ago, I was sent over here from Second Baptist Church to be a part of a revitalization process. There were about 50 people here. The budget was about $75,000 a year. And God, I know God called me. I knew it. And so we were obedient. Second sent me and sent a team of missionaries to come over here and help us. And... The staff kind of looked like when Jethro showed up. I would be Moses. It was me. And we hired a part-time music guy from Carson Newman. Carol Foreman was here. She was working three hours a day, three days a week. She took care of finance, um, the phone, and our life guide. And we would hire a little bit of supplemental work along the way. We had Karen Cox who looked after our children in preschool. She had about a half a dozen kids in there. Most of them she brought with her, okay? That's what it looked like. Amen. It's beautiful, sweet, all right? I think last Sunday we probably, I think they said we had 676 people here, 144 people in the back in preschool and children. So it's changing, right? It's growing, all right? 
So are we changing with it? Well, we are. In fact, I'm kind of proud of it. Not proud of me, but proud of the church. I think this is why we're strong, and this is why we are growing. So today, not only has our attendance grown, our budget's about $1.3 million a year, because most many of you give, praise God, for his blessings in your life, and you share them with his church. That's awesome, and he blesses that. But from a perspective of leadership, are we sharing the love? Or are we passing the ball? Because from time to time, people think, oh, the preacher, he makes all the decisions. And I beg to differ. So today, what does our staff look like to support the church? What is our levels of leadership in the church? Well, there's me. I'm still senior pastor. Okay? I love it. And I have Tim Stallings, who's our executive pastor. He takes care of our finances. He's been a blessing to me as a friend and as a leader. He does counseling. He's carried our finances just effectively and efficiently through a building process. He's just, he's just a friend of mine, done a great job. He's been full-time. He's moving toward a, a part-time status as he moves toward retirement. He's not retiring. He's not leaving. He's just going to change the way he's doing things with less hours each week. But then what do we do as soon as that starts happening? We add to the mix. I want to introduce to you somebody, Robbie Desjarnet. Robbie, if you'll stand for me. Uh, he's, he's our administrative pastor He's going to be working side-by-side side with me, day-to-day, hands-on operation of things in the church. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. I love him like a brother. We look like we're brothers. Uh, we are brothers in Jesus, and, uh, and, and it's a great thing and glad to have him with us. And so we've got him. Okay, we keep going. He's going to be full-time. His first day, this is kind of funny, his first day is April 1st. That's April Fool's Day. So if he doesn't do a good job this week, I'd say, I was just kidding on April 1st. <laughs> he knows that's not going to happen. Uh, and then we have Tanner Walker. Tanner's full-time. He's audio, visual, technology, and guitar playing, about anything else we need him to do. He's full-time, and he carries a lot of weight. Okay? And then we have uh, Clark Stepp. Clark is full-time. Clark can't stand up. You know why? Because he's promoting others just like the procedure says. He's in Kentucky right now with a group of missionaries up there doing a building project and, and passing out flyers, practicing for this week when they go door to door. He's in the game. So that's our full-time staff. Now, where do we go from there? Well, we have some people who work one day a week. We pay them for one day a week, basically. Some people we pay for two days a week. Some people we pay to work for three days a week because that's what their ministry, ministry requires for the season, for where we are. And here's what it looks like. We have Carol Foreman. She still does finance, phone, and our life guide. She still works three days a week, three hours a day. We have Megan Bryant over preschool and our midweek step-up program. We have Sarah Black over children, kindergarten through fifth. We have Kelsey Stepp. My daughter-in-law. And let me just go ahead and address one right here that comes up from time to time. Nepotism. Nepotism where family hires family. I hired my son-in-law. I hired my daughter-in-law. If my other daughter wanted to work here, I'd hire her too. If I had 10 more just like them, I'd hire them. I might let somebody go just to hire them. Okay? If somebody's living for God, I don't care what their DNA bloodline says who they are. If they're living for God, serving God, we want them on the team. Okay? And if you have a problem with that, go talk to somebody else about it. 
We have Jeremy Cox, who looks after our college and career. We have Noah Brown, who is now our audiovisual associate, who helps Tanner with all the technology stuff. And he also has a new name given to him by Ed Gallion. Uh, his name is uh, Chairman. Uh, he's the chairman. What's he the chairman of? These chairs. Every time we take them down or put them up, he's responsible for that. That's chairman. Now listen to me. You say, you, we laugh about that. It's kind of funny. It's an honorable place in my book. You know why? I've been moving chairs for 30 years in ministry. I have been chairman until Noah became chairman. You, you didn't know this. I'm, I am a, uh, I am a, see, what's the word I'm looking for? OCD. I knew there was some, uh, I knew there was some initials. I was OC, I'm OCD. I want the chairs to be in line. I want them to be I, I, weird. Where I came from, sometimes they'd come behind me and move chairs just to drive me nuts. And so when I, when I found somebody to pass that off to, which is Noah, he careers it, man. So he's chairman, okay? We also have uh, Tyler Neelums. Tyler Neelums does publishing for us. He's in the process of working through some literature that we're going to be providing as the church, for the church, and for other churches. He's also our resident, uh, he's also our resident scriptural reference. Uh, he's, one of the, he's one of the brightest people I think I've ever known. And he's, we just need people like that around us, just, just full of Jesus and full of the Word of God. And he helps us with some things. Now, I will say this. He and Noah, both in their full-time job, they're in logistics and transportation. Okay, they work for FedEx. All right. Now we have another one. Stanton Martin is right here in the front. Stanton, will you stand up? The other guys, I think they're not here. This is Stanton. Uh, he's engaged to Ellie. So throw that in. Okay, big shout out. Uh, and so, all right, Stanton, you can be seated there. I don't want you to feel awkward. Stanton uh, is helping Clark in student ministry. He's a student associate. Does a great job. He loves Jesus. Uh, uh, he's, we're excited about what God's going to do with him. Uh, he's in real estate. Full-time job, he's in real estate. He's like a tycoon, I guess, you know, or, or whatever. He's in real estate. That's what we say. And so we've got these guys, these girls, these people that are in the loop, that we're investing and that we're promoting, that, that, are, that, are, that are expanding and taking responsibility to find out if they're a one, a five, a ten, a fifty, a hundred, a thousand person, people person. Okay. So what's been true? Oh, and then we're not done. We have Courtney Sagu, uh, who is a, she's a contract employee. She does some technology stuff for us and, and, then we, uh, and social media platform stuff. Then we have Elizabeth Jackson, who takes care of our facilities. She works a couple days a week. And my job is to pray for and, and to preach to them and to promote them and to share the love and to pass the ball. And because of that, our church is stronger. But listen, it doesn't stop there. Now, if I've already mentioned you, I do want you to stand back up. Stand back up, Stanton, Robbie, some of you. If you'll stand up, Noah, you can stand up top. Tanner, stand up anyway. Now, if you are a deacon, I want you to stand. Deacon, okay? We got eight of them skipped today. We get the new deacons. No, we're good. We got them covered. Uh, if you are a small group leader or a community group leader, I want you to stand, Okay? If you serve on the personnel team, finance team, or missions team, I want you to stand. If you serve in the coffee shop, I want you to stand. If you serve at the connection center on rotation, I want you to stand. If you serve as a greeter, I want you to stand. If you're on rotation in the preschool and children, keeping kids 
on a rotation, I want you to stand. Now, this is how the church grows stronger. We multiply to conquer. You see, every one of your circles that are standing, I can't impact them always directly. But I can invest in you, promote you, encourage you, preach and pray for you, and let you impact your circle, and everything changes, and all of us get better because of it. Now, you can be seated. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you didn't stand up. It's time that you take a stand. It's time that you find your place to get in the kingdom agenda through the local church. Find your place of ministry to serve. And listen, as I said at the beginning, it can be as simple as this. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday. Everybody smile real big. Some of y'all having trouble with that one. Okay, you're not going to be a greeter. I'll put you on the security team. If, if you can smile and be glad that Jesus saved you and glad that somebody came to church to hear the, the beautiful gospel of Jesus, you can put a lanyard around your neck and stand out in front of church next Sunday and beyond with this job. Hey, thanks for joining us at church today. I hope your day is blessed. Can I help you? Find your place. Listen, the church gets better. You get better. Jesus is lifted up, and God is pleased when we do things according to his wilderness procedure. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much, God, for being a God that loves us all the time. You're patient with us all the time. You loved us on our most unlovable day as much as you do on our absolute best because your love is not contingent on our goodness or our lovability. It's contingent upon the fact that you are love. And it is in your love that you chose to wrap yourself in humanity and come to this earth and die brutally upon a cross 2,000 years ago. But God, as we will celebrate next Sunday, you didn't stay in that tomb. On the third day, you rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave on our behalf to prove that you are God, the God of everything. And so, God, I thank you so much for this church, Sturkey Hills. God, I thank you for what you've done through the last years. God, I praise you and thank you and honor you for what you're going to do moving forward. And God, it is my prayer in this moment on the hills of my preaching that God, people will rise to the occasion that they will no longer be satisfied being a spectator, but they will get in the game and they will engage the giftings that you've placed within them, God. That they will find out by exercising their gifts whether they are to be over 10, 50, 100, or 1,000. But God, we pray that you will use every single person according to the gifts that you've given them. That one day when we stand before you, we will hear the greatest words possible, which are, well done, my good and faithful servant come in to the kingdom that's prepared for you God it's my prayer that today if someone came for any amount of reasons and they don't know you God in a real way I pray that your Holy Spirit will gently reach into the depth of their soul and invite them into your forever family God, that you will assure them that you will take them just how they are, 
just where they are and just who they are because you've paid the price for all of their sin. God, I pray that they would be willing to hear your invitation clearly in their heart and they would, that they would boldly be willing to say, God, I am a sinner and I know it. God, I believe that Jesus died on a cross to save me. I believe he rose from the dead to give me life. I repent of my sin. I receive your grace gift into my life. Change me from the inside out and forevermore. Thank you for hearing my prayer on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.